You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, overprohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, I'm Rob Schneider. And I'm Kevin David Thomas. And this is Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, at Broadway Curtain, and make sure to join our Facebook page of Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. And follow us on Instagram, at Broadway Curtain Podcast. Plus, you can always listen to all of our episodes, old and new, on the Broadway Podcast Network, iTunes, and Spotify. A dress that needs to open on cue, a dancing teapot and a pyrotechnic dancer, turning Bernadette Peters from a crone to a goddess in full view of 700 people. These are some of the design challenges that have been charged to today's guest. Her original costume designs for such musicals as Sunday in the Park with George, Into the Woods, Beauty and the Beast, Falsettos, John Doyle's Company have become truly iconic and it's hard to separate the show from her designs. To tell us what it was like to work with such folks as Stephen Sondheim, Michael Eisner, Bernadette Peters, Patricia Zipra, John Doyle, and so many more, here is Tony Award-winning costume designer Anne Hold-Ward. Anne, how are you today? I'm good. How are you guys? Good. We are so happy to have you. You you said that you are up in New York, up in Riverdale. Is that correct? Enjoying the view up there? Yeah, I'm here in in isolation, but here. enjoy enjoying the sunshine. That, th- first of all, thank you so much for joining us today. And you know, we, we'd love to start with tell us a little bit about how you became involved with Patricia Ziprod, one of the greatest costumers of the theater. One of the one the greatest ladies of the theater, grand dame of the theater, brilliant designer and wonderful person. Um, uh, I, uh, when I was in graduate school at the University of Virginia, I sent three letters to three different uh, costume designers, to uh, Patricia, to Theoni, and to Tony Walton. And, um, and uh, saying I would love to come and uh, intern with them. And Patricia was uh, kind enough, and, and indeed the other two became very dear friends through the years, but Patricia was kind enough to write a note back saying she was busy, let her think about it. Um, uh, and, uh, and so I uh, actually finished graduate school, went to France to uh, live for what I thought would be like a year. And when I got to Paris, I was actually not able to work. I wasn't able to do anything without a green card. Um, so I came back to Montana um, and, um, and I, uh, where I was born and raised, came back to my parents in Montana with my, my son who was like two years old. And, um, and I started trying to reach Patricia. Um, and uh, I got her, you know, it was in the old days of our message machines on our phones. And um, the message on her phone said that she was um, in, uh, in technical rehearsals in Boston for uh, Queen of, King of Hearts, I think it was called, musical, very, yep, didn't last right. very long. So I started calling the theater, and I kind of made friends with this lady that was somehow, the, I got a general number. And she gave me the backstage number. And so then I just started calling the backstage phone and really? um, got to know this. This is a crazy story, right? And got to know that stage doorman. He was like, hi, it's you again. And so one day I call and he says, oh, she's standing here. And he hands the phone to Patricia Ziprot. And I say, I say, uh, Patricia, this is Anne Holt Ward. And I, I wrote to you a long time ago, or, you know, a year year ago and i really would love to come and intern with you and she said well where are you i said i'm in montana 
And she said, oh my gosh, my dearest friend lives in Montana. Um, that she went to camp with from the time she was in fourth grade till through high school. And so what she said, well, let me think about it. So we got off the phone and I knew she'd been impressed that I was in Montana. So <laughs> I went downtown to the general store in the little town in Montana where my parents live. And I bought a cowboy hat and I got a arrow and a piece of rawhide. And I wrote this note on the piece of rawhide that said, Dear Miss Ziprot, please, please, please just let me come to New York and be your intern. I will scrub your floors. I will do anything. And I stabbed it through the hat with the arrow, the piece of leather, and I sent it off to her in New York City to the address I had. Well, she got stuck with that show. And I think there were all sorts of out-of-town problems in Boston. She came home on what was in actuality the 30th day. And those things, they only keep your mail for 30 days. They would, it was ready to be set back. And on the 30th day, she happened to send somebody to go get the mail because she'd finally gotten back from Boston. And um, they went and picked up the, uh, the hat. And I... I few days later in the mailbox in Montana comes this note that says, well, it was actually a very long letter and I wish I had it. Um, but the letter said, dear Annie, okay, okay, okay. All right. You can come to New York. And, the, and she said an interesting thing that, you know, has stayed in my heart forever after that, because she ended the letter with saying, um, that she had always very carefully evaluated which work she did and what she took um, to work on. And I've always thought that was interesting because it was such a different time in the theater because I think um, in the theater I grew up in, we just took whatever, you know, you're like, oh, please, thank you. I want to do this show. Yes, of course I'll do it. Um, so I, I've always thought that that was such a different thing than I was able to experience. I think I've, I've, that stayed in my heart because um, I so much wanted to be able to be like that, but I've never really got the opportunity, let's say. Um, and so uh, I left Montana. I left my son with, um, with my mother and my dad, and I came to New York with two suitcases on January 2nd, 1978. And I slept on a piece of foam on a friend's floor in New York and started my internship with her. And we were to do Manonless. She was going to work on Manonless Call at the Met. The opera, and yeah. When I got here, they canceled it. And so then I was there in her studio that January and February. And, um, and, and in the spring, um, Ben Benson, who had been Patricia's assistant many years before, was then the, uh, the head of the shop um, at New York City Ballet uh, because Karinska had had her stroke and she wasn't able to work anymore. And uh, Ben was doing um, uh, two, they were doing two productions of, the city opera was in terrible shape. And so they were doing two productions of um, Dido and Aeneas and La Bourgeois Gentium um, at the same time that was to earn, get money for, uh, for city opera. And he was directing both, or directing one and choreographing one. And so Ben needed an assistant. And so um, I went to uh, Karinska to City Ballet, and I was there for 18 months, I think, and Ruben Teratunian designed the Bourgeois Gentium and um, Dido and Aeneas, and so that was my beginning of really working in the city. That's incredible. Persistence yeah. and creativity that, yeah. got you, that got you in, my God. Was it terrifying to just get up and, and, and go to the city and, and, and just start? You know, it was. I mean, I knew there was a union for designers because I, I met Carrie Robbins at a USITT convention and she had talked about it. I mean, and my professors had talked about it, but I, I had no idea like just the sheer volume. And so I got here and my husband was in France. My child was in Montana 
I was on a piece of foam in somebody's living room. <laughs> and, and, and I was like, well, I told my family I could do this. And I think that was what really got me through the years was I told my family I could do it. And so I needed to do it. So um, that gave me a lot of uh, uh, resilience, a lot of backbone um, to just keep saying, I got to I got to this. I got to make this work. And it is kind of an interesting story, too, because it was at a different time as far as um, motherhood and women were concerned. I mean, it was like six months before I even told Pat that I had a child. And, um, and it was well until I had, after I'd done Sunday in the park, before I would actually tell people that I had a child. Because people, you know, it was just a different time of, well, how are you going to do the work? How are you going to manage? Um, that I think are things that society has changed a lot in that way. Uh, now that we can, hey, we're of course we can do it. But right, at that point course. in time, it was it was harder to to convince people that you were going to be able to do out of towns, that you were going to be able to go places. We didn't have that many um, designers that were married had children. You're right. I, it's something I never really thought about, but I, it, that's exactly right. And I never thought that there'd be a stigma that you could lose out on jobs because of that sort of... Uh... When I uh, when I was pregnant with my daughter and, and then when she was little, like as into the woods time, and I made a concerted effort that I was going to talk about my child. I wasn't going to, um, I wasn't going to hide that I was a mother because I, by that point had a modicum of success and I thought mm. it was supportive for other women that we could do this. I mean, and for men too. I mean, it, we shouldn't be, you know, I mean, thank God now we see all sorts of people with their children and it's, it's, of course you can manage it, but it was a different time in, in how that was viewed. Did you see a lot of your colleagues lose work because of sexism? Well, the theater was a very male-dominated place at that time. Almost all of our producers were male. Um, I mean, we the start of seeing some women in, uh, you know, seeing Nell Nugent, seeing some women come forward. Um, but it it wasn't necessarily a place that, um, that you could say, oh, it's fine to talk about that. I, I'm going to balance these things. I'm going to balance um, being a person with these things in my life and a career. It was a much more difficult thing to do, I think. Now, where, where did your love of design come from? I grew up in rural Montana. Um, really had no money. Um, my mom used to my mom sewed my clothing and we would take the buttons off one thing to put on another thing we made because we didn't have money to buy new buttons. Yeah. I mean, so that gives you an idea of the, what we're talking about. And, um, and I, uh, very early on, I started, um, with my paper dolls, like making clothing for them. Mm -hmm. uh, and designing clothing for the paper dolls. So I always say it's just like I just I just have been making paper dolls forever. I just make bigger paper dolls now. <laughs> and then we turn them into fabric. <laughs> I love that. Where was your undergrad for it? Uh, yeah, I, I was thinking about that, getting ready to talk to you guys, because um, it's kind of an interesting story. Yeah. Um, my uncle, uh, when I was 12 years old, my uncle... Um, uh, was it, it, you know it's in the time of the draft and he went to he was uh, drafted and went to California for part of his training and he'd had a girl that he'd gone to high school with uh, from a wealthy family in Montana and she'd gone to Mills College in Oakland California and and I thought I thought you know that my uncle could walk on water he was like 12 years older than I was and so he came home and he talked about visiting this girl at Mills and what an amazing place campus it was and stuff and when I was 18 I applied to Mills I also had to Hamlin University and I got into Mills but I didn't get a scholarship and so I, I and I got a scholarship to Hamlin in St. Paul's so I uh, went my first semester to Hamlin and I got straight A's so I um I took a copy of the transcript 
and I sent it to Mills. I never reapplied. I just sent the transcript and said, you know, at Christmas of that year, I said, I'd really still love to go to Mills. Is there any chance? And in May, I got a phone call from my father in Montana, and he said, you've just gotten this. It was a telegram at the time, you guys. Uh, you've gotten this telegram that you have a full scholarship to Mills for next year. So I went to Mills, and of course, Darius Mio was the head of the of the music department there then. I mean, it just was a world of, uh, of, of art and music and theater like I had never been around before. Um, and so that's where, that's where my undergraduate degree is from. And, and, and it, made, it made me able to understand what the arts could be in a way that in rural Montana, in a tiny high school with 15 in my class and 69 in my whole high school, I was never able to really, and especially like when we didn't have the internet and we didn't have, we just didn't have the methodology that we have today that someone in a, in a rural area can expose themselves to. I just didn't have the ability to, um, though my mother, my mom was an English teacher and we read together and we read Shakespeare together in the summer on the farm. So I, in that, aspect i i did realize there was this beauty of language that uh, my mom had made me appreciate and did you know that uh you know it was going to be theatrical design versus film versus television i mean did you did you did you decide well, early on or know, fashion happen or fashion yeah so well so because of my mom and and then we started like she got me interested in, you know, plays and dramatic readings and this kind of stuff just because of her English background. And so initially I thought I wanted to be an actress, right? Although I'd always painted it. As I look back on it, I'd always painted and drawn, you know. Um, I went to Mills thinking that I would do that. And I met a young man who was at Berkeley and I got married to him. And, uh, and the head of the theater, the head of the department at Mills said, you really couldn't be an actress and be married at the time. And so she made it extremely difficult for me to go on in that area. And I had begun to take design. It's interesting to watch your faces just as you hear this, you guys. It is. It's really interesting. Um, and so I, I, I'd begun to take um, a, a design class, custom design class. And like I said, I, it was just paper dolls, right? It was just another form of paper dolls. I'd always done that. I, 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 I loved it. And Rhoda Gale Pollock, who was the costume designer there at the time, said, I think you have a talent. And that's how then, you know, then that's how I kind of got shoveled into that area, really. Um, and as far as theater or movies, you know, it's funny because it was always theater. And I think maybe that's just because of my mom's love of it um, rather than movies. Though, I, I, one of the first things I ever remember of, of, you know, just like, oh, what is that? Of trying to look back on how the heck did this start um, was when it uh, when it would rain on the farm, we were 30 miles from the nearest town. And so when it would rain on the farm when I was a little girl, then you'd be able to go to town and like go to the drive-in movie or something because you couldn't be in the fields. And so um, so it, it, uh, uh, one of those rainy times, uh, I, I'm about four years old, you guys, and I remember being in the back of the Studebaker and my mom and dad took me to see Auntie May. And of course, there's uh, like there's one scene there where they go in her bedroom and you see all the colored wigs and everything. And I remember as a little girl going, I want to do that. Mm -hmm. That's the earliest I can remember, like, you know, being in the back seat in my pajamas of the Studebaker going, oh, I want to do that um, when I saw it on the screen. So, that is such a cool memory. That is, yeah. thank you for sharing that. That is awesome. That's a long time ago, Studebaker. <laughs> <laughs> they made those in a hundred years. Nope. <laughs> I love that that vibrancy, though, just popped and inspired you. That is that is fantastic. Um, so, And then you went to graduate school, right? 
I did. Uh, then I uh, finished Mills. Um, nine months later, my son was born. Um, and then my husband uh, at the time was a nuclear engineer. And we went to uh, Richmond, Washington in the tri-state area. And, um, and he was working there at the Hanford Reservation. And I was like, oh, my God, I've got to be doing what I want to do. And there was, a, there was a, uh, a small junior college there. And I went and introduced myself to the guy who was the head of the theater department. And he let me design. The, I did the lights, the sets, and the costumes for all their shows for like a year. Um, I don't think the lights and sets were very good, but anyway, I'm not even sure the costumes were very good. Probably, um, yeah. But I did that for for like, <laughs> like a year, and then I um, and then we moved to Charlottesville, Virginia, and I uh, went to UVA, and my MFA is from from UVA. And then, so now, now we're going to jump back to New York. So you said when you, you, were, you were looking at Patricia Ziprod, you were looking at Theoni V. Ulrich, and you were looking at Tony Walton. How would you des- describe their styles or their essences that sparked something in you that made you want to go and work for them? I didn't know anything. I just knew they were All right, that's pretty smart. That's good. I wish I I had been that. You know, I mean, I knew these were three wonderful designers, and they were designing on Broadway all over the place. And I knew that, you know, they'd done, Patricia had done Fiddler. I mean, I knew these different things that they'd done. Um, But honestly, I was just like begging. I was just like, who will take me? Who I, wants a floor sweeper? You know. Yeah, we know that feeling. Patricia, <laughs> Patricia should have never answered that letter. I mean, she was too nice, right? That's okay. how I knew I had her, right? That, I mean, that was that's such a genius way of doing it. Okay, so right. so now that you're working, so now you're working for Patricia in New York, and so what? Like, what lessons from her did you learn that you still take with you today in shows? How does she still influence you? Well, I mean, she also became my dear, dear friend for 25 years. I mean, we were we were kind of, um, we had this funny thing of like a, 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 an attachment, I'd say, of there'd be this look in her eye that it would be like a spark. And I, I don't know, it ignited between us and we'd just mm-hmm. be off to do something together. Um, I think that, I, I mean, being an assistant and doing the an intern and assistant to someone on that level is just such an amazing thing because you see the ins and outs, you see the good and the bad, you see the pressurized situations without having to be in that hot seat. And you learn a lot about how am I going to evaluate this for good or bad. Um, you're able to look at the situations and, and, and to realize that it's, the wonderful thing about what we do is that it's human beings in a moment. It's, I think it's like sports in a way I, 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 that the live theater is people exerting themselves vocally, physically, emotionally at that moment. And we're able to be a part of it. Um, but it's also the other part of it. It's, it's just human beings doing it. Right. And I think then there becomes the big hype of it. It's Broadway. It's this, it's that. Well, you know, we're all still getting sick with colds. We're all still worried about how does the costume look good? We're all still worried about are they selling tickets? All these things that are just human individual things. And then kind of the press comes and makes it so big. And you're like, you forget that it's just human beings able to do it. Right. I mean, um, and so I think I really got a very big look at that through through the different things that I assisted Pat on. You know, I, I assisted her on, I was thinking about this to, today, just uh, one of the things was a show called One Night Stand. Um, have you ever even heard of it, you guys? Oh, yeah. The, the, the album is actually hanging on my wall right now. No, you're kidding me. I swear to you, yeah. 
I didn't even know there was an album. <laughs> Most people don't. <laughs> with Charles Kimbrough in it. Yes. Oh, yes. Kimbrough's wife was in it. And John Dexter directed it. Mm-hmm. And Julie Stein wrote it. And and I remember, you guys, I'm I'm coming. We were in the theater where where Rent was. Is it the... What's the name of that theater? Is that the, it's now the Nederlander. The Nederlander, yes. right? I don't remember what it was then. Um, but I, I remember we were into previews. The show was like four and a half hours long. Mm-hmm. People like left in droves at mm-hmm. intermission. I mean, you know, we intermission was ten thirty. They were like leaving to go get a train to get home. And I came. I, I'd gone out to get something. I came in the middle of the afternoon. I come barreling through the doors, the front doors of the theater. And at that point in time, there were two stairways on each side. And John Dexter is on one side and Herb Gardner's on the other side. I've got all these bags and everything. And they are literally screaming at the top of their lungs at each other about like what should be cut, what shouldn't be cut, everything, you know? And uh, first of all, I was like, oh, my gosh, I didn't know, you know, like people do this. This is, this is theater. Okay. theater. And, and, I, and so I, but I, I needed to go to the bathroom because I'd been out shopping. I had all these bags. And I, these two guys are like, they're like really in the heated moment of what should, what can you cut? No, I won't cut it, blah, blah, blah. And I go down into the basement, you know, where the, like the lobby bar was at that time. And there's Julie Stein crying. Yeah. Wow. You know, I mean, so things like that were were really. Um, I saw people. I I through Patricia. I saw the heat of it. I saw the heat of what it is. The emotional, the intellectual, the physical heat of it. And I think if if anything that I learned, I mean, I learned to be an artist from Patricia. But probably the thing that has sustained me the most is learning that, is learning to be able to, like an athlete does, learning that you are going to extend yourself, you're going to push yourself, you're extending and pushing everyone else around you. Mm-hmm. How do you remain human? How do you know that you're going to get through that? Now, I'm sure every single show that you work on has its own challenges, but what show have you been challenged by the most? Assassins, since we can't do it right now. Oh no! So you've got all these, you got all these designs just sitting there. Oh no! (laughs) No, I mean, wow, the most challenge. I mean, it's like every time there's a challenge, right? Every time you're like thinking, okay, this is going to get easier. It never gets easier because we always want to be better. We yes. always want to do it well. Mm-hmm. We always are worried, but I think that's also what keeps us young in this business. Yeah, I mean, like I think there's this really fantastic thing about our business, which is you continue to be around people of all ages, and yes. I just think that makes us a wonderful collaborative group. That doesn't happen to most people. Most people in their careers, they kind of get into these different. You know, you're in a group that's, you've, you've come up the ladder and you're in yep. an age group with the same people. Whereas we are constantly in a creative situation where we're challenging each other intellectually. We're hearing things from all different ages. I think that that keeps us young and energized yeah. in a way. Um, that that's really a gift of our yeah. of our of the theater and and I'm sure movies and TV too. But you know uh, of what we do, it's a gift. Yeah. How do you begin the process of designing a show? So you know you you've, you're handed a script, you like the script, you signed on. Where do you begin, or how do you like to begin? What's like the ideal collaboration for you, or the ideal process, I should say? Well, you know, I say it's. I think every relationship is like a relationship. Every relationship with a director is really like a relationship. You are, you're going to learn what works on your dates or doesn't work on your dates. Um, And so you have to kind of decide, I mean, I have a given way of, I I love to do the research. I, I find it 
I, I say I can go down the rabbit hole of the research. You know, you can go up into this area and that area. All of a sudden you go, oh, I'm down a rabbit hole. I got to come back up. I got to <laughs> be. It's just so easy to get involved in different aspects. And, and how are you going to put all that together? Um, so I, I love to do the research. Uh, but I, I find that like one of the things is to try to hear the director to try very hard to listen to who they are as a person, to learn, to research them, to learn who they are. Um, by that, I mean, what's just like the questions you guys are asking me, like, you know, what are the things that make them tick? I mean, what are their experiences? What are the things that I can look at and see in their work? A, a lot of that I think I might have learned through the years of working with Lar Lubavitch as a choreographer because what I, I, I did so much work with Lar through the years. And, and, and then you begin to see how he's creating, how he's working, uh, and, then, and then how it grows in one way in this piece and a different way in that piece. But they're all connected. Um, and I think that then I began to realize that that's how directors work too. That's how we all work, I think, was those experiences compiled upon each other. And so uh, I like to really have the time to investigate who they are, what they are. And, and I've been blessed to have some really long-standing relationships that get to the point of that there's very few words, actually, um, with a director. Uh, and, and, uh, and understanding how they need to work. How, how, how much freedom do they still need to have within the design once they're in the room? How much do they actually need that it's going to be exactly like that sketch and how much do they need to be able to to have a super big freedom and that's i think a learned experience with every director um uh and it, it, it and sometimes you know sometimes then maybe you have to take a, a a back view of like oh wait i thought it was going to be such and such but no it needs to be different now um and, and th those are hard lessons to learn. And uh, I'm still learning. I am I'm still have like, you know, the hair on the back of my neck goes up of, oh, oh, I don't really like it. Yeah. I'm oh. still like, I, I say, it's like being a four-year-old kid, you're drawing to your mom, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, I'm still like the four-year-old kid taking my drawing to my mom. Mom, do you like it? Mm -hmm. Right? That's a life lesson. And, 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 and I think I have to, like you have to just kind of create, I think it's based on good research. Um, it's based on listening to what the director is conceiving and how, how much can they conceive on paper? How much do they need to conceive in the room? Um, and then kind of just plotting forward as you go, if, if that is an explanation. Yeah, and how early do you like to involve your discussions with hair and, hair and makeup? I usually have the designs on paper before I'm actually taught. I mean, I probably know who I, I, I know who I want to design it and I may have had some conversations with them, but I probably want to have it on paper, know that the director feels we're going in the right way, probably have some producerial, producerial and general manager uh, ideas of, of what that is and then go, go for that. Good morning, Mama. Liza, darling. We've got to help the boys at Behind the Curtain. Oh, Broadway's living legends. Oh, it's marvelous. Well, what, what would they like? Some cream of wheat? No, Mama, they want some money. Money? Well, let's send them a great big bag of money. No, all you have to do is go to patreon.com. You know, it's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, and, and you set up a monthly donation. Money makes a world go around, Mama. Oh, don't I know? Patreon.com. Do it now. Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu slash visit.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You know, you were speaking about director's feedback, but what I have to ask you. So what <laughs> happens when you're standing in the back of the house and random producer or random producer's wife comes up to you and goes, you know, she would look better in blue. I have so many good stories about that. Let's go back. <laughs> Let's go back to Harrigan and Hart, which was my second Broadway show, I think, right? Okay. Joe Layton is directing. Uh, uh, um, Mike, Michael Stewart. Thank you very much. God bless him. Michael Stewart wrote it. Um, and of course, you had uh, Netta Harrigan Logan. Joss Logan's wife yeah. is involved as one of the producers. Oh, and, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, and and she is about well, I don't know. I thought she was about ninety at the time. She probably was younger than that, you guys. But you know, I I didn't have a very good concept of age, maybe. And one day, um, we're in we're in previews, and one day, Natty. Uh, Netta Hergen Logan arrived with a suitcase with a negligee in it that she thought one of the leading ladies should wear instead of oh. the negligee. So I learned pretty early on like how you were going to hear the different or people have different different experiences and and they have different um ways they're viewing what's going on they also have different things that are really super important to them um like when we did sunday in the park with george you know the little girl in the middle of the painting mm -hmm. the little girl she's there with her mom with the umbrella the little girl little girl i mean and it is center focus of that painting right yep and we pat and i have done it it was the kind of had a a bit of a of a turquoisey blue underlayer to it. And during previews, Steve said, um, uh, it needs to be white, I'll pay for the dress. And we made a new dress for the little girl that was white. And it was, he, in, in what he was seeing of that painting and the years he spent on it to the focus of that, he is absolutely right that in, in pinpoint perspective, that is what George, Sarah did. He came to that little girl in the center of the painting, you know. But so there are, there are. Sometimes there's someone has a real, a real need, a real urge, a real. And, and I think uh, that's a hard thing to teach designers. Um, we we want to say, oh, it's so important that we have it the way we want it, um, and. And there's going to be points always, either financially, producerially, where other people have other ideas. And mm. you have to figure out how you're going to work with that. One of the things that helps me in that situation is to remember my respect for the director and my love for the director. And to know that by my navigating that situation i am actually aiding him in being able to do the work he needs he or she needs to do um rather than getting into this situation of oh my god the producer's wife wants a blue dress it's it's being able to have that conversation come through that conversation and negotiate and that that still can be designed uh, i think that's a like an imperative part Man, it's not a fun part, but I think that's an imperative skill to learn. I think I, I have to breathe deep, you guys, just from saying it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm having heart palpitations just from getting it out, right? <laughs> doesn't make it easy. It doesn't make it easy when they want the blue dress. No, it's that's ne that's never a fun conversation. That's just no. ne 
never a fun. Always but awkward. Like, but like you said, it's something that needs to get done, and it is still a part of design. It's still a part of your job. Well, I think it's a super big part, and I think we like if someone could have helped me learn that, and I still have to remind myself. I mean, uh, as recently a Prince of Egypt just a few months ago, I had things that that big producers wanted different, and you're like, this is my job. I respect. I mean, also I think it has a lot to do with how you can negotiate a creative situation and respect with your director and your other designers. And if you have that, I think it makes it very much easier to negotiate how we're going to change something mm -hmm. and how we're going to work with the actors and tell them this is happening and go about it. Now, what happens when an actor gets into the fitting room with you? Mm -hmm. I mean, how much input do you like from them on, you know, oh, I, I saw my character wearing a tie. Or I saw this, I saw that. Or you have it sketched where she's in heels, I should be in flats. You know, I I like one of the things I try to remember. I try so super hard to remember what they've gone through to actually get into that room. I try to remember what that life is of the auditions, of the of what it was to actually get that job for each and every actor to try to remember like what it takes to actually get in that fitting room with me. Um, and then to offer them the respect of, okay, let me listen to it. Let me see. How do we negotiate this? How do we come to, and I really find most times there's a, you're just negotiating another part of the design. I mean, you're adding, like, I really love, uh, when I'm at the drawing table, if at all possible, I have photographs of all the, of the actors. And like how I work it out, you guys, is I have my paper right in front of me. I have their face to the left, their body right there, and I have all my research on the right. And I am actually at that moment putting it all together. Um, and I'm, but I'm already putting my brain and thinking about them if I possibly can have it. I mean, sometimes they're not cast yet, right? But if I do have that opportunity, then right from the very beginning, I've been working with them just psychologically. I've been working with them. So then when they appear in my room and and they're like, Annie, it would really help me if I had flats, I've already been envisioning with them in a way that lets me envision more, I think, with them that way. That's great. That's that's such fabulous advice. Um, you know, a lot. What's so fabulous about so many of your designs is that every once in a while, there's something that uh, I don't know how most designers would deal with. Like, for example, in Sunday in the Park with George, her dress just opens up, and she leaves the dress and dances around, and then she comes back, and the dress closes around her again. I wish you could see Anne's face right now because I think <laughs> can you can you walk us through that. The iron dress, we called it, the iron dress. So it was actually made by a man who had a business called Theater Magics in Ohio. And he was the only person who would bid on it. And so the poor darling made this whole wire frame. And, and, and it actually had, at the, at the time we did it, Tony Strager's set was raked. And so it had what we called moonwalker legs, you guys, moonwalker feet. That when Bernadette got to her place, she had a little, she, she actually, she got in her place. And then there was, believe it or not, at this point in time, um, it, it all functioned off a garage door opener. Because <laughs> that was... Like, yeah, well, right. really. <laughs> I didn't get to that one coming. Yeah, it was, it, and and they had it. Richard Battle, who was the uh, who was the stage manager, he had the garage one. Uh -oh. He had two garage door openers, and so the the first one went and it put the little legs down, and then they tilted because they had to tilt. Like she couldn't ever just get in exactly the same place, right? Wow, uh, yeah. On that, so they had to tilt and and make it steady. 
uh, every every night. So the little legs would come down, and then you'd and like if you're in the audience, you could kind of see. I could go, thank God, the legs are down. You know, <laughs> so it would like you could see it go up a little tiny bit, and then and then in the bustle of that dress was like a. Uh, I want to call it a pellet, but like a tube, you know, and that actually was what then, uh, then the next garage door thing opened the doors and then she walked out of the dress, but there were nights during previews, like, well, one night Bernadette couldn't get out of the dress. And then one night she was over like talking, singing to Mandy and the dress closed up completely and she wouldn't open up again. So she got done with her number and she just grabbed it under her arm and carried oh. it off stage. Oh. I mean, you know, those bit, the doors that are at the back, you guys are the booth. I would be like back there on the floor cringing by a door, like begging, could the dress please just open up and not, oh my God. And the man, the theater magic man, he hated me by the end. Oh. He really hated me. But it was a wonderful thing. I mean, it was it was really, but it was very tension ridden. The whole thing of like being able to make it operate, being able to make it look good on her, everything you know, everything all along the way, because it it had to have so many different things that it did. And this, you 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 have you shared uh, design credit with your your mentor slash friend. How did yeah. what's I mean. I'm curious, how did you, did you say, oh, I'll, I'll do these costumes, I'll do those costumes, or did we well, collaborate together? How did that work out? Well, we did it kind of together. You know, I think um, what happened was that Stephen James came to Patricia about designing it for playwright, at Playwrights. Um, and I think at that point in time, she was like, well, that's going to be a lot of work on the ground. And, um, and I had been off designing maybe two or three years by that time and on my own and she just called and said hey did I want to do this together um because then she would be you know she just didn't want to invest in playwrights horizons where you know you were in the basement with no bathrooms and I mean just the situation was pretty rough and I think she thought that it would be easier to negotiate. And we did kind of divide things up. Um, uh, certain of the sketches she did, like the, the pregnancy dress, the aqua-colored pregnancy dress where Bernie turned the pregnancy around and stuff. Pat did that dress. Patricia designed the actual, she did the sketch that's that the iron dress, the pink the pink dress. Um, I, I did Bernadette's last dress and I did most of the other sketches, I think, but we just kind of put it together, you know, as we went. And you worked so much with James Lapine during this era. What's, what's it, what's that collaboration like? Why do you, why did you go back to him so many times? Well, I mean, he, he came to me. I mean, you know, he was kind enough to let me work with him um, actually, he just he just uh, texted or emailed today because he's writing a book about the show about Sunday. Um, and and um, and uh, I only wanted to know where some of the sketches were and stuff. And um, it was just it's one of those things where he's a very loyal person, and I was lucky enough that he was willing to do different things with me. And and it's been fun like through the years to do them you know I did the merrily with him out in La Jolla like in 85 or 86 um before after we did Sunday but before we did into the woods and then I did redid merrily with him at encores and then for the uh six by Sondheim I did the the we did the section you know where Steve was in it um of merrily so he's been very very kind to me through the years of, of allowing me to be uh part of processes with him and how does your collaboration work with him uh lengthy discussions um lot, lots of visuals but, uh, well both um usually like a start into the visuals and then a lot of lengthy discussions and then drawings, and then a lot of 
uh, and James is, uh, James, I think is somebody who then still is really going to want to like, he's going to be developing the piece as you're going along too. Um, so, so you're going to, it's going to continue to extrapolate itself from the design process on. Got it. Now I'm assuming that the iron dress was nothing compared to dancing teapots and candlesticks that had to blow off flames. How does, uh, t- tell me how you got involved with Beauty and the Beast and the magic that you created. Well, that's a, that's a fun story because uh, Rob Rob, uh, who directed Beauty, and Stan Meyer, who's a scenic designer, they both went to Rutgers. And when they were at Rutgers, they would come and second act into into the woods all the time you know sneak in and see the second act and um uh, from the back row not pay and so they were uh thinking they michael had talked to them they talked to michael about wanting to do beauty as a theater piece and um and they said they'd like me to design it and or they'd like to you know talk to me and so I got a call from Disney, would I, and I was designing an opera in Santa Fe, I was designing John Giovanni there. And they said, would I come to LA and, um, and meet these guys? And so I went to LA and I was in this little conference room with these guys who were so fun and they had such great senses of humor and they were such good friends with each other. And, um, and, and I was like, well, you know, this is really interesting. They're an interesting group, and they have, like, this kind of wonderful flavor of life about them. Um, and what would that be in the theater? Because they'd not really – they'd not done any Broadway shows, you know? And, and I was – and I thought, you know, it's going to be interesting to see if somebody like Disney, if a corporation – starts to come and and produce on Broadway. Yeah. And there should there's going to be a huge learning curve. And I want to be part of seeing what that learning curve is. Um and Flora Roberts was my agent at the time. And Flora really I mean I remember in that because negotiating that contract was extremely difficult. Yeah. And um and Flora was like, well, they'll never do another one. I, you know, I don't know. But, I mean, they've done a lot. And so have a lot of other corporate producers, right? It was a real change of direction. And, and I think it, it, it is important for us to be able to see and navigate, negotiate the changes that come our way in our careers in the theater. And... And, and, and I mean, I'm sure there's ones that are happening right around us right now. You guys will have to see what it is right now, right? During this, how does this, uh, how does it negotiate itself? How does it come out of this? And 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 who will figure out a way? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I think I was watching was Disney figure out a place for these corporate producers. And most certainly since that time, we've seen a bucket load of them, right? And what do you think were the biggest learning curves that they had to understand to work in uh, the commercial Broadway industry? Well, I think it's both ways, right? I think you have to understand and they have to understand. I mean, we were very lucky on that in that Michael and Jeffrey were hands-on, completely involved, uh, and they really were the approval factor in all of that. So, as it was starting, uh, as as Disney Theatrical was starting, we really had a very easy conduit to see who they were, what it was, etc. And you know, just like you see Tom, like a super guiding force with a very strong vision of where to head. I, I think that um, that you have to uh, avail yourself to understanding where these people, where they see their place going and recognize it and be able to work with it. Uh, I mean, that's kind of the exciting thing, right? Is work with them and they also are working with you um, in ways that, that uh, are different 
than, you know, when we did Harrigan and Hart and, you know, Michael Stewart called and said, come up to my apartment and we're there, the sketches out on the floor, like figuring out what's cut, what's not. It, it's just, it's a different process. But uh, I think that we have to avail ourselves to learn those processes as the theater changes. And do you, I mean, do you enjoy those, uh, you know, putting such epic shows on stage, things like The Prince of Egypt or things like Beauty and the Beast? Do you enjoy, enjoy Dance the of the, the Vampires? Dance of the Vampires. Do you enjoy? Dance the, of the Vampires. Uh, Woo! <laughs> she survived. She has a tale to tell. Do you do you enjoy those larger scopes? Like, I mean, I'm sure you enjoy the variety because your career is so so varied in terms of what you've created. But is there one style that you gravitate towards more than another? No, I just really like to do the different stuff. I mean, I mean, if if you if I had my ideal. I would design dance. I love dance. I love the beauty of the music. I love the beauty of the the body in motion. But I say that, and yet then I absolutely passionately love my relationship with somebody like Anna DeVere-Smith, where I'm learning every single character, and we're determining together how it works. And it's such a a mindset of of the director, Anna, myself, and and working that together. So um, I I think I've been super blessed by by doing all these different things. I mean, I remember um, when I was designing... uh, uh, one of the years I designed Ringling Brothers, that you know, so mm-hmm. like the circus. In the afternoon, like at five o'clock one afternoon, I was fitting uh, Julie Kent for Allegro, a new ballet for ABT at Barbara Matera's shop. And by six o'clock the next morning, I was in Florida. So I was fitting this diminutive, tiny beautiful ballerina and at six o'clock the next morning i was fitting elephant blankets on elephants in florida where they had like ladders to get the elephant blankets on and i was like wow talk about different worlds and i kind of really love that i kind of really love being able to experience all those different things and i've been pretty lucky to be able to do that i think in my career absolutely and i think we've been pretty lucky to be the beneficiaries in the audience of seeing your beautiful designs this and i gotta tell you this has just been an absolute pleasure today i can't even thank you so much for all the time you've given us my last question for you is is what do you wish that your younger self would know that you know now if you could go back and talk to a young Anne who's about to start off in this business, what wisdom would you like to impart on her? I would say to her that it's going to be so much harder than anything you could possibly imagine and that it's going to be so much more gratifying and that the people who will be in your life will be so much bigger and broader and loving than you can possibly imagine. I love that. I love that. Thank you, Anne. This has been an absolute pleasure. All right. Till next time. Bye, everybody. Bye, guys. Bye, Anne. Thank you for listening to today's episode. And a big thanks to the punchy players, Jeff Marquis, who is bringing back Lucy, Betty, Judy, and Morda shill for us. And a big thanks to our sound editor, Daniel Schwartzberg, and social media manager, Bethany Ann Selecki. And don't forget, we want more folks to hear these incredible stories, and that's where you come in. In order for people to find out about us, we need lots of ratings on iTunes. So head on over to iTunes, search for Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends, click on our logo, click on ratings and reviews, then write a review and leave us five stars and make us feel as special as Eliza Doolittle on Eliza Doolittle Day. Or you can leave us just one star and you can make us feel as baddie, baddie, bad as Annie did in that really weird production in Boston where Annie dreamt that she was being adopted, but then she ended up back in the orphanage, right back where she started. Yeah, true story. Rob saw it. Yes, and it was Betty. It was bizarre. I was there. I was. Oh, God. So head on over to iTunes and make us feel even more special than we already do.
Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Gapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchases, over and by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.